This morning, I invite you to turn to our opening text in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 for our opening text this morning. We've been studying a series on relationships. Loving you as God loves you, relationships, God's way. And so, this morning we'll be going to the Word of God, and this is our 10th sermon of a series of 12, and it's entitled, The Search for Oneness, as we entered into the relationships. The Search for Oneness. Fifty percent of marriages today are ending in divorce. Of the 50% of marriages that do not get divorced, my question is, how many of them you think have a satisfying relationship? Is the question. Well, men, let's ask the women this morning. Statistics. 84% of women feel they don't have intimacy in their marriages. You have it there on your yellow papers. Men. <laughs> 80% of women feel they don't have intimacy in the marriages. This is the people who stay married, not the people who got divorced. 83% of women feel their husbands don't even know the basic needs of a woman for intimacy or how to provide intimacy for them. Don't even know. Have a clue. We're picking on the men this morning. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 83% of women feel their husbands don't even... I'm sorry, next one. A large... I want Mary needed to say it again. Mary, God wants me to say it one more time. <laughs> a large majority of female divorcees say, listen to this, that the married years were the loneliest years of their lives. Hmm. The married years were the loneliest years of their lives. There was a question that was asked and addressed the women in a pre-marriage class that was given. And the question was, they're asking all these women, they said, what impresses you most about your fiancé, the one that you're going to marry, the, the one that you love? And listen to the responses. This is how the women responded. Denise responded, what impresses me most was his kindness and honesty. Katie said, he's so attentive and respectful. Penny said, I'm most impressed with his patience. Marsha said, he's a very compassionate guy. This is before marriage, okay? Amy said, he's so caring and sensitive toward me. Jody said, he's such an encourager. Ruth said, I never met such a kind man. Deb said, he shows such patience when we don't agree. Diane said, he wants to do anything and everything to be a better husband. Amen? You see, in pre-marriage classes, every woman's eyes are bright with hope and anticipation, right? They're looking forward to the future. But in 10 years, will these women say the same things or will these women feel that they've been snowed by their husbands? That's the question. What impressed your wife the most about you before you were married? Do you still impress her in the same way? Are you an encourager? Do you still have patience in the impasses? Are you still attentive and respectful to her? Or is she still lonely on the inside, even though you are often with her? 
That's a question I'd like to ask you this morning. This morning, we'll take a look at how we may continue to be in love and in unity. And as we take a look at God's principles in obtaining harmony through the Word of God, may we face our true condition of where we're really at and surrender our lives to Him so that we can be where we should be. Amen? Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, help us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. When a man and a woman are united together in marriage, what should they become? Genesis 2, verse 24, the Bible says, following along, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be what? One flesh, the Bible says. Now this term, one flesh, sounds quite strange. What does it mean? Phrases often talked about in sermons and Sabbath school and Bible studies. You hear one flesh thrown all the way around. But if you were to ask around, you would probably see many blank expressions. What does it mean, one flesh? Being one flesh means to experience a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and the word I'm going to use throughout this whole series, this whole sermon, is called oneness. Oneness. That's the whole theme. And coming together. But oneness does not automatically happen right after you say the marriage vows. For it's evident by what you see in relationships today and marriages that it just doesn't automatically happen. There isn't that oneness that we're talking about. So how does oneness come about? What is it that produces it? We're going to study from the Word of God. Turn to Genesis 3.16, the next chapter down. Genesis 3.16. After sin, to whom was the woman's desire? We're going to look at the woman's desire. Now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, Unto the woman he said, God saying to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your what? Husband. He should rule over you. A woman's desire has always and will always be toward her husband. In other words, her longings, her yearnings, her desires will always be towards an emotional oneness with her husband. The feminist movement says that you are your own person and that no one should tell you what to do and that you either don't need your husband. But according to the Word of God, there is a desire within a woman, every woman, toward her husband. Now, not toward her boyfriend, but the Bible says toward her husband. When they're married, there's an emotional attachment, that's closeness, a oneness that can only be experienced in a marital relationship. How do we obtain this oneness? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians, in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible says, the Bible says in verse 20, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see, unity or oneness can come only by submission. In other words, in order to have true unity, both sides in relationship must be willing to submit to one another, right? Amen? 
We learned already about the past. We learned about how the headship role of the man and the woman. The Bible talks about the man is the head of the woman. We learned about that. But this, this morning we're going to be looking at the submission of not the woman to the man, but the submission of the man to the woman. Amen? In this text, the Bible says that the men, both sides, are to submit to one another in order to have unity. Without submission, there will not be oneness. There is a female submission for men. There is a male submission. Amen? There is a male submission that Bible was talking about. Both or submit to one another. Now my question is this morning. Why do people fight in relationships? What's the problem that people end up fighting and arguing with one another in a relationship? See what the Bible has to say. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Turn to me to James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Notice what the Bible says. Why do people fight in a relationship? See, fighting is, we, talk, we talked about that. Arguing and fighting, putting each other down, negative words. Only do harm in a relationship. I mean, how many of us really believe it does good? No one does believe that. So what is it that causes it? We can understand what causes it, then we can figure out a solution. So James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, For whence comes wars and fightings among you? Where does fighting come among you? How does it come about? Come they not hence even of your lust or your desires that war in your memories because you want something. Then it says, you lust or you desire things, but you don't have it. You desire, you kill, and you desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and war. In other words, you're, you want, you're fighting, you're arguing one another because in that relationship or with that person, you want something, but you're not getting what you want. Is that not true? When you're fighting with a person, with your wife or your husband, and you, talk, you want something, you really want something from that person. They want, you want that person to do something for you. You want that person to believe what you believe. You want that person to understand where you're coming from. But when that person doesn't submit to what you ask of that person, what you ask of that person, that's where the fighting comes from. That's where the arguing comes from. But if there is submission in a relationship, there will be no fighting. That's why there's so much fighting in relationships today. If couples would submit one to another, if someone says, you know, I would like to do, I would like to do something, and another person says, sure, and submit, there will be no argument. The only argument comes is when someone takes a stand and will not submit to the request of the other person. So the Bible says that people fight, and there's no oneness because of it. When Adam and Eve didn't submit to God, what happened to their oneness? It went away. When Adam and Eve didn't submit to God, the relationship between each other went bad. Remember Adam started blaming Eve and Eve started blaming? The blaming game started happening when the relationship with God failed, the relationship with one another failed. When they're not used to submitting to God, then you... You're not used to submitting to one another. And that's why as a Christian, the whole walk with a Christian is submitting to God. When we submit to God, we get used to submitting to one another. 
That's the whole practice. And the more you submit to God, the more easy to submit to your relationship, your other half. And the more you submit, the more unity and oneness will be home, and there will not be fighting within the home. Amen? I want you to also notice that Eve ate the fruit because she wanted to be like God, the Bible says. In other words, what she was saying through her disobedience was that she didn't really need God. For she was her own God. When she ate the fruit, she said, I don't need you, God, because the Bible says she would be like God's. I don't really need you, God, therefore, I am my own God. In the same way, when you don't submit to your other half, when you don't submit in a relationship to another person, to your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend, when you don't submit, what are you really saying is, I don't really need you, I am my own person. I don't respect your thoughts, I don't respect your perspective, I don't respect your feelings, I don't respect none of that, I don't respect anything at all because I am all that I need. Therefore, I won't listen to what you say. I won't submit to what you say because I really don't need you. And what we're saying by our action, what we're really saying is that I don't need you and I am all that I need. Oneness is important. For the Bible says that a home that is divided, that's fighting one another, will be destroyed. In the same way, a church, if there's no unity within a church or any organization or school or any group or club, when the people are fighting within, a house divided against itself will not stand, the Bible says. It will fall. And a church that is divided or fighting, it will not stand. It will fall. A home that is divided, that's arguing and fighting, it will not stand. It will fall. Eventually it will fall. It may not be outwardly, but only when their hearts, their hearts are broken and falling within. Who's responsible for all this? Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. After Adam and Eve sinned, who did God call accountable for both of their sins? Notice the Bible says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. After they both sinned, who did God call accountable for their sins? Notice the Bible says. They sinned, and God came looking for them. They both sinned, and the Bible says here. And the Lord God called unto Eve and said unto her, where are you? Is that what it says? Adam. Amen. Amen. <laughs> God called unto Adam. Amen? Amen? In other words, when relationships went bad, the relationship with Adam and Eve went bad. And when the relationship with Adam and Eve went bad, God called the man to accountability and not the woman. I want you to notice that. Even though the both of them sinned, God called only upon Adam to own up for the both of their sins. You see, Adam being the head of that relationship was accountable for the failure of that relationship, even though both had contributed to that failure. In the same way, when our relationships fail, when our marriages fall, God holds the men primarily responsible even though both parties had contributed to the failure. That is why it is a solemn responsibility 
to be a real man today in relationship. For we are ultimately held responsible for our relationship, whether it doesn't work or whether it does work today. What's the problem? The problem is that men today, we would not own up to this responsibility. Why? Because according to the Bible, men are rebellious by nature. The Bible says that when Eve ate the fruit, the Bible says she was what? Was she? Deceived. But Adam wasn't. Eve was deceived by Satan, but Adam wasn't. In other words, Eve was deceived by Satan, but Adam knew. He knew what was right, he knew what was wrong, but in the light of knowing what was right, he still ate the fruit in God's face because he had a rebellious nature. And this is evidenced by the far greater crimes among males than females today. This rebellious attitude is the main reason why men today would not own up to the responsibility today of taking leadership, not only in their homes, but in their marriages and in the community once again. Now, where in a marriage do men normally fail? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. What aspect in a marriage do we fail? Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25. The Bible says, Husbands, love your what? Wives, even as Christ also loved the what? Church. And gave himself for it. In other words, what did Christ do for the church? died for the church, right? Sacrificed his life for the church. Gave his life for the church. In other words, the same love that a husband is to have toward a wife is the love that the husband is to give such a love that is willing to sacrifice even what he wants to do for his wife. That is the love that God asks us as men. And my question this morning is, men, are we living up to the sacrifice that God wants us to do? You see, the trampling of men upon the marriages have brought death to the souls of the wives. But your wife didn't expect you men to trample upon her. You seemed kind and godly before marriage. She never dreamed you would treat her like this. You see, when a wife feels undernourished, underappreciated, and underloved, she will wilt into a dull nothingness instead of blossom into life and excitement. With nothing to nurture her, her unique beauty and appeal can be concealed within who she really is. Where once she was full of life and joy and happiness, now she seems dull and marred. And rather than devote more time, men, to reverse this condition, men spend even less time with their wife. To more, his wife wilts more. And the more justified he feels to leave the situation. The death of a spirit and the lack of commitment is often the death of the relationship because he cannot stand to be with someone who's so unresponsive. And thus, what a vicious cycle it turns out to be. This once happy, joyful life when her teenage years and her young adult life was so full of energy and happiness 
and now sunk into sullen eyes and discouragement and depression in the middle years. What happened? What happened to a perfect love? Let's look at an example here. How does the world view the cross of Calvary? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. How does the world, how does everyone out there who hasn't been experienced the love of God see the cross of Calvary? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that are lost foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You see, the cross doesn't make sense. It is not logical to our sinful flesh. In fact, to our sinful flesh, the cross is foolish, is illogical. It doesn't make sense. Who would be so foolish enough to die for someone else who mistreated you? Is what Jesus did for us. Who would be so foolish to do something as foolish and stupid as that with no expectation of benefiting yourself at all? But although, according to the flesh, the cross was foolish, sacrificially, the cross was the right decision. Amen? Amen. I'm glad that Jesus didn't think logically according to the flesh, but instead thought lovingly toward us in the Spirit. You see, our common sense and logic is narrowed by our experience and knowledge, and sometimes men were just flat out wrong. On top of this, sacrifice goes beyond logic. The cross goes beyond making sense. We've studied how men are physical and women are emotional. We learned the battles that men and women struggle with. In the context of marriage, a woman's emotional needs in a relationship are met by talking and sharing. That's the emotional needs that women have. But men don't like to naturally talk and share with their wives because they naturally like to do better things, right, men? (laughs) But in order to obtain oneness, the Bible says, men must be willing to sacrifice and submit to the needs of the wife, which include her emotional needs to talk and to share. You see, as men, we are logical. But our decision-making, logical decision-making, often fails to see the other person's perspective. We move beyond a logical leadership style. we got to move beyond it. And we got to look at the same sacrifice that Christ had for us. We ought to sacrifice for the needs of our wives, the needs of our loved ones. And this is the reason why our relationships are failing, because there is not a submission to the oneness of our relationship. That's why, men, when uh, your wives come home, makes sense. You got to work early the next day, but she wants to stay up talking and sharing with you, right? <laughs> and you want to go sleep because the logical thing, I got to wake up early in the morning. It makes sense. It doesn't make sense to stay up late because we're going to both be tired, we're going to be miserable. Let's just go sleep, right? That makes sense. Logical. Men think logically. It makes sense. But the thing to do is to have the same sacrifice as Christ had. In other words, he did something, the cross was foolish. It didn't make sense. It was foolish. 
Do something foolish or sacrificially for your wife and submit to her request and talk and share with her even though you think it doesn't make sense and you don't feel like it. Amen? Amen. It will fill the emotional needs of her. It doesn't make sense for to both of us to go shopping that once a month shopping trip to Costco. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense if I stay home and I mow the lawn or I weed whack. But she's thinking, talking and sharing, spending time with you. You're thinking it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's better you save time. You go there, I go here. We get more things done, right? It makes sense. But to her, she's thinking, emotionally, she's thinking beyond the logic and into the sacrifice. And men, will you sacrifice as Christ sacrificed? Will you submit as Christ submitted? Is the question this morning. And when his men submit to the emotional needs of his wife, his wife will then willingly submit to the needs of her husband. And when the men and the women have a mutual submission, then and only then will you have a true oneness in a relationship. Wonder why your relationships haven't been working? We haven't been submitting. When we're submitting to one another, yes, you don't want to do what she's requesting, but that's where the sacrifice comes in. I'm willing to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed for me. I'm willing to submit. Okay, I'm going to go to the store with you. Okay, I'm going to go to Costco with you. Okay, I'm, I'll stay up and I'll talk and share with you. And if we realize that, there will be a oneness in our relationships. Reverse submission. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. The Bible says, The Bible says, But I have you know, and on your yellow papers, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now look at the yellow papers here. It says here, Christ is the head of humanity. Man is the head of the woman. We talked about that. And God the Father is the head of Christ. See, we understand, men, the headship roles. But this morning, God is calling us to a different type of leadership. He's calling us to be a servant leader, a reverse submission. That is what God is calling us to do this morning. You see, Christ submitted to humanity when he was on the cross of Calvary. He allowed us, he submitted to people beating upon him. He submitted upon humanity to murder him. Even though he's the head of us, he submitted, the the head submitted to the one below. God submitted to all of us. That was a reverse submission, and that's where we get the term atonement or at one or at oneness with one one another. That's why God has a oneness with us, because he being the head of us submitted to all of us. And that's why there's a oneness. Reverse submission is necessary for oneness. So let's take a look at an example. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 to 6. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 to 6. What happened when Hezekiah was told he was going to die? Notice the Bible says. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, the, the king Hezekiah of Judah. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order. For you will die and not live. 
And he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech you, Lord, remember how I walk with you in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you on the third day, you should go into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto your days fifteen years. King Hezekiah was giving a message that he was going to die. He prayed to God, and God heard his prayer of crying out to him, and God gave him 50 more years to live. Now, 50 more years to live. In these 15 years, because the king was allowed to live, it was because of this that the Babylonians came and he showed them all of the treasures. And the Bible says there wasn't anything that the king did not show the Babylonians. And because of this, Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem. In other words, God allowing 50 more years for Hezekiah to live was not good for the Jewish church. It was bad. In other words, God submitted for the sake of oneness. God submitted to him humanity for the sake of oneness. But knowing that, that submission will lead it to be detrimental to Hezekiah. In the same way, the man is the head of the woman. In the same way, men, we are to submit to our wives for the sake of oneness, even though we know that our submission will be detrimental to her, that it would be a bad mistake, is leading the wrong direction. We are not to use pressure. We are not to use um, hate. We are not to use anger. We are not to use any type of manipulation to make our wives make a decision that she doesn't want to make. It should be only made out of love. Amen? Amen. Submission, true submission is only based out of love. We are never to submit to God out of fear because we fear God. We are never to submit to God because we want to get a reward from God. The only reason we are to submit to God is because we love God. Amen? And we only really submit to one another in our relationship. It's not because we fear that that person's going to get angry at me, and therefore I'm going to make a decision, right? Amen. People get mad at you, and like, the only way you're going to make a decision is because they're mad at you, and you want to calm them down. You don't like them getting upset or snapping or whatever, right? So the only way, reason that we are to submit is because we love that person. And then it makes it willingly. We want to submit. It's a joy to submit. It's not pressure to submit. It's not manipulation to submit. It's not anger or even a reward to submit. It's because I love. Isn't that the whole reason you got married in the first place? Wasn't it? I look back at that list. I'm looking back at that list I'm reading. Why, were they, why did they love, why did they submit to one another? He impresses me. He's kind. He's honest. He's attentive, respectful. He's patient. He's compassionate. I love him. That's the reason I'm getting married. Whatever happened in the relationship? Whatever happened to the love? 
21 Samuel chapter 8, verse 49. Another example. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 49. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 49. Another example of the headship, Christ submitting to man. The Bible says, For, and the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah, and said unto him, The people came to the leader, Samuel, Behold, you are old, and your sons walk not in your ways. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken or listen to the voice of the people and all that they say unto you. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. But God says they have rejected me. God says they're requesting this, but what they're doing is not right. It's wrong. They rejected me in doing it, that I should not reign over them. According to the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, where they have forsaken me and served other gods, so that they also, so they also unto thee. Now, therefore, hearken unto their voice, although yet protest solemnly unto them. Show them the man of the king that shall reign over them. Another example. Christ the head of the church submitting to the church, even though God said what they're doing is wrong, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting me as their king. And this initial rejection led to the final rejection when they rejected Christ the king on the cross of Calvary and said, we don't want this man to rule over us. We have no king but Caesar. God submitted to humanity, knowing that in that submission, it would be detrimental to man. And why did he do that? God submitted to humanity for the sake of oneness. Why are we to submit? We are to submit to one another. If you really want your relationships to work, not like everyone else out there, but if you really want your relationship to work, if you're serious about being happy, for once in your life, in your relationship, whatever you may be, wherever you may be, be willing to submit to oneness. Amen? Amen. Be willing to submit to one another for the sake of oneness. In one of his letters, James Dobson wrote a portion of his mother's diary. His mother, Myrtle, reflects upon her loneliness when her husband, after her husband died. Her husband also named was James Dobson. And she writes, One day I realized that he did not exist anymore. His name was removed from the church register. The bank took his name off our checks. Our home address was rewritten to include only my name. His driver's license was invalidated. Then I recognized that my name had changed too. I had been proud to be Mrs. James C. Dobson Sr. Now, I was simply Myrtle Dobson. I was not we any longer. I became me or I, and I'm alone. Inside, I'm broken, sad, stunned, alone. My house has lost its soul. He is not here. People have told me that the first year is the hardest. It has been one year and three days since you died, and tonight I am frantic with longing for you. 
Oh dear God, it's more than I can bear. The sobs make my heart skip beats. I cannot see the paper. My head throbs. The house is lonely and still. Visions of you have been as real as if you were here and had not left. Today I thank God for letting an angel watch over me, but how desperately I missed you. I moved into the smaller bedroom today. I wish you were here to share that room with me. There are precious memories there. When I was sick four years ago and you prayed for me in that bedroom during the midnight hour throughout the whole night, you lay on the floor agonizing before God in tears in prayer for me. We both knew that the Spirit was praying through you. Later, the Lord led us to the doctor who helped me find my way back to health because of you. Oh, how I loved you. I love your memory today. When I'm gone, I want my wife to miss my prayers. I want my wife to miss our laughter. I want her to find no secrets where I've compromised her values in private. I want her to miss our times of sharing, our times of talking, our times of opening up to one another, the opening up of our souls. I want her certain that her married years were the happiest years of her life and not the loneliest. I want to enjoy this journey, and that is why I have chosen to give my life away to her, to submit to her for the sake of oneness before that oneness is taken away. My question for you this morning is this. When you die, you're married. Will your spouse miss that oneness that you shared? Women, will your husband know that you were truly passionate for your marriage and you tried everything possible to make it work? Men, will your wife know that she got everything out of marriage God intended her to have? Beloved, in our search for oneness, may we follow God's principles as found in this word and may we all obtain this oneness we all long for. But beloved, no amount of human effort can produce this oneness. For only God can make the love between the two of you grow. Only God can give the warmth to withstand the cold winds that blow. Only God can rekindle the light that is hidden within your soul. For He would do it if you only hold on to what you do know, that it is God who causes all things to grow. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, at this time, may we submit to you that we may learn to submit to one another for the sake of oneness. In Jesus' name.